A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. An extended summary of this episode is available in the programming notes episode for this week. So bottom line up front, what are you going to learn about and hear about in this episode? I interviewed Joe Reese, the CEO and co-founder of the data consultancy Ternary Data, co-host of the Monday Morning Data Chat, and author of the upcoming book Fundamentals of Data Engineering. Some key points or takeaways specifically from Joe's point of view, not necessarily my point of view. Number one, find quick, high-value wins. Too often, people focus on the big wins that are big, big projects, and those become overly complicated and end up in failure. Number two, most software engineers don't understand data well enough to be data product developers in data mesh, at least not yet. There are a lot of challenges there. Number three, data mesh is a polarizing topic. And that makes sense as it is pushing boundaries. Many hope data mesh can really come to fruition, but it is a bit of a utopian view. And it's difficult for a lot to actually see data mesh, you know, fully living up to that utopian view. Number four, the future of data engineering is to move past managing pipelines to much higher value work. Joe's got some thoughts around specifically what that work might be. And lastly, speed to achieving wins with data with a clear return on investment and with high trust is the first thing you should focus on. Get this right and you can have the quote unquote luxury of building great data products. So my view relative to data mesh in this conversation, I think the focus on high value wins is somewhat useful, but if you don't need to prove out the return on investment of data mesh as some 
organizations, some people that have been on the podcast have talked about that they didn't need to really, really focus on the wins. And so if you're in that boat, the better idea is to focus on building up your patterns of reuse. The more you can build frameworks and easy easy paths for data product development and consumption, the better. But in most organizations, you will need to focus on those high value wins, those quick, easy wins to prove out data mesh can get you that value faster and more easily slash regularly. As you can probably tell, I agree with some of what Joe says and don't with some other points, but I think it is a valuable perspective either way. And I think you'll learn a lot from this one. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Joe Reese here, who is the CEO, co-founder of Ternary Data. He's the co-host of the Monday Morning Data Chat, which is both a podcast and a LinkedIn Live thing. And he's the author of Fundamentals of Data Engineering. And that's going to be a book that's coming out this this fall or this summer, sorry, with O'Reilly. And I asked Joe to come on Mostly, I've been seeing a lot of his posts in general about the data world, and I think he's got (laughs) a good head on his shoulders for a lot of this stuff. And I just wanted to get kind of his opinions on some stuff. And then he actually also had uh, Jamak on on one of the, the LinkedIn Live sessions. And I thought the way that they were kind of conversing about data mesh and that, you know, the the kind of pushbacks that we need, but that aren't you know, kind of these crazy, I'm going to poke a huge hole in this that nobody's thought of. And it's like, everybody's thought of that, right? Like that, that seems to be a lot of the pushbacks versus I think you were, uh, Joe was, was specifically um, putting out some reasonable things of, well, how do we actually think about this? Or, or what, what is this? So I wanted to have him on to kind of talk about that. And we're, we're going to talk about just in general, the role of data engineering in data mesh, you know, kind of what what the evolution is going to be? What's the now? What's the you know couple of years down the road? What's the the long term ten years down the road? You know wild uh, prognostications and things like that. So with that, Joe, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the topic at hand. Yeah. Hey. Hey, everybody. Um. Yeah. Thanks, Scott, for the. Uh, she did a very good intro. I don't know how to how to top that off. Uh, my. Uh, you know, my background is, you know, um, I, I call myself a recovering data scientist. So, you know, my, my background is more in um, uh, you know, analytics, data, uh, all sorts of stuff in data, uh, machine learning and so forth. So I've been in the data space for 20 years now doing, you know, uh, all sorts of jobs. And, you know, uh, I would say around, what was it, sort of the mid 2010s. You know, after working on uh, you know data science projects, I, I realized like data engineering um, was sort of my, my next transition. Um, I, you know, the, the uh, um, I think a lot of people tried doing data science projects early on and would hire data scientists only to realize they hadn't built the foundation upon which to do the uh, data science. And so that was 
think pretty fundamental towards uh, shifting my view, um, you know, moving more into, uh, I guess, what is now data engineering. But at that time, I think it was more uh, either data science or software engineering is what you'd call it. So and here we are today. That's great. And, and Ternary specifically, what, what, is, what do you do as a company, just so people are kind of familiar? Yeah, Ternary Data, we're a uh, data architecture um, and data engineering consulting firm. So, and unlike other uh, consulting firms, we, we particularly focus on making sure that uh, we um, train and enable data teams to do, um, you know, their, their best work, right? So it's, it's not so much uh, your typical consulting company comes in, uh, does button chair hours and, you know, tries to camp out of your office for years. And it's very much not our approach. We take a very, um, you know, much a teaching, uh, you know, and, um, you know, a coaching focus with, uh, with our clients. So because at the end of the day, we really want our clients to succeed without us, you know, and, and by doing that, um, you know, we empower data teams to, again, be, I think, the best versions of themselves. So it's, it's a much different business model, but it works for what we want to do. So, yeah, I kind of have that with the community. I, I've told people I, I didn't even want anybody to really know my name. I wanted to kind of centralize a lot of people and be kind of in the background and connecting folks and kind of surfacing interesting things to a couple of people who could then be the uh, voices in the face of the community. But we have so early that that wasn't really a possibility. Right. So. <laughs> working on, on yeah, I think uh, people know who you are now so yeah uh yeah it's 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 I, I tried to launch this podcast with under the name host at one point or I was discussing mm. it and people were like that's going to seem like you're disassociating from yourself so no you can't do that <laughs> but um so the topic at hand um data engineering and and data mesh there's a lot of different things that we can kind of jump into this but one of the kind of topic du jour uh, is thinking about how does, who should be doing the data product development, right? Who is that data product developer that Schmack originally talked about? And if you look at kind of her early vision, I think she was thinking that it's the the data engineer should be the one that's embedded in that you decentralize your data team and half of them go to building your platform, half of them go into the domains and build the, the data products. But more recently, at least from my interpretation, she's more looking at how do we make it so that the software engineers can do that and that everybody's kind of generalists. And, and I kind of have this problem with Jamak and people like Paco Nathan and things like this, where they're too good of engineers, where they think every generalist can be, you know, at that principal level and, you know, both leading a team and uh, hands on and all of that. So we'd love to, to kind of hear your thoughts of where, even how, how has data engineering evolved to the point where it is now? And how do you see it actually intersecting with data mesh at this point? I mean, when you kind of think about it, data engineering has always been sort of this nebulous area between uh, software engineering and um, delivering data products, right? So data products back in the day might have been reports, which I think is still typically, you know, one of the data products that, that are most uh, commonly used in companies, right? So that could be a dashboard, that could be data for Excel reports or something. But, <clears throat> you know, for the longest time, I mean, that was, you know, I mean, historically for decades, that was really the end product were, um, you know, hopefully insights, really, that you know, that would be another byproduct of a, of a, a data product. And so who would deliver that? Well, I mean, it, 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 it kind of was across the board in some companies it might have been software engineers producing that data you know the companies that might have been um you know a bi engineer a data warehouse engineer or something like that or etl developer any number of titles i suppose but the out you know all focused hopefully on an outcome which is 
you know, producing um, data or a data model that could be used in downstream consumption. So really, I think the modern version of data engineering, at least how I define it, is somebody who, you know, they sit between the source systems and the, um, the outputs. Right. So source systems, might, source systems might be the systems that um, software engineers manage on a day-to-day basis um, and really taking that data, um, you know, doing something with it uh, in a way that's useful for, uh, again, downstream data uh, uses, whether that's uh, machine learning, whether that's um, analytics, uh, you know, reverse ETL or any number of things. But, you know, I think this is also a, a moving target as well. And an evolving role. I, I do agree. Maybe the ideal should be that software engineers, um, you know, end up doing this type of work, but there seems to be more of an entropy than there is, uh, I would say a consolidation of, of titles, but I, I do, I do, we can talk about this later, but actually, um, you know, in, later in the book, the last chapter, we do actually talk about how, uh, you may have a, um, you know, kind of a back to software engineering moment, uh, maybe sooner than later with this, but yeah, it's also, but a lot of it also depends on the company, right? I mean, it, it's your mileage will vary depending on where you work. And I think that's the, that is always the crux. Your organization is, um, that's, that's your roadblock or your opportunity, depending on, you know, uh, the people you work with and how they want to do things. So. And do you think like what, what I'm kind of circling around with a lot of stuff with data mesh is, is again, the Pareto principle of the 80, 20 rule of, 80% of the data work, if we train the software engineers, can be handled by them, right? And you need the, the data engineers for that kind of specialist of, like, we really need this kind of complicated transformation. We need, you know, we have slow evolving schema type things. And so we need to be able to transfer that information into a way that is a static consumption model, right? We need that that data API or whatever to make it so that it's not that the consumers are constantly having the consumption, but that um, you're also not breaking it upstream. But 80% of the time, it, it it's really not that difficult. And a lot of people that are called data engineers are kind of pipeline monkeys, right? They're, they're the people who just create the pipelines because they know how to do the semantics of the pipeline and they they babysit the pipelines, but they have no idea what the information is flowing through that and, and things like that. How are you seeing, you know, data engineering's exploded, right? How are you seeing the industry evolve around data engineering, you know, irrespective of data mesh? Yeah, what, I, what we see a lot is, um, you know, abstraction of tooling is, is a very, very uh, prominent force of nature right now. You know, so, you know, data pipelines, I mean, why not just use Fivetran or, or something like that to manage your data pipelines? Like, that's what we always tell our clients, like, you know, moving data from a database into a, you know, uh, you know, your um, data platform like Snowflake or Databricks, like that's a solved problem that, you know, companies that have, have hired lots of engineers to solve. And so I, I, I think that, you know, um, some engineers, they, they want to do, they want to engineer, right? That's in your title. Therefore, you're, you're, you're tempted to want to code. That's, it's sort of the uh, proclivity, but, but more and more of what I, what I would say is, you know, um, what we tell companies is definitely write code, but write it in ways where it's um, going to leverage whatever your competitive advantage is for that code and avoid undifferentiated heavy lifting. Um, you know, so that's, that's the big distinction I would say. And what this, what this forces data engineers to do increasingly is focus on what we call uh, enterprise data engineering. So we could argue that data engineering is going to shift more towards um, practices like data management um, you know, and all the subsets of data management, of which there's uh, a bajillion if you, if you take a DM box um, 
or Dama's uh, you know definition of it, for example. But I would say also focusing on um, you know uh, data ops, you know, um, orchestration, uh, you know security, all these things that uh, you know are related to data. Um, most definitely in an engineering sense, but I would say because people have been like pipeline monkeys, as you say, they've a lot of this stuff has just been ignored, right? If you're if you're managing pipelines or if you're managing a Hadoop stack or, or whatever, you know, it's like you don't have a lot of time for everything else. And but um, you know, we, we definitely see this changing. I, I personally see it changing where you know the the amount of uh, grunt work that people have to do is um, I wouldn't say it's it's declining. It's just shifting towards other types of grunt work that are ignored. If that makes sense. So yeah, the, the data engineers are still overloaded, but it, the impact of the work or or the focus of the work is changing that makes sense right and i think it's going to be more higher valued work obviously you know definitely because it's you know so i think that's the graduation of data engineering is towards things like governance for example i know the data mesh is a federated governance layer and i think that's these are the areas where i think data engineers are going to be increasingly focused um because again pipelines that's a solved problem for the most part i was talking to the other day to a you know a real-time data pipeline company that's basically doing the the five trend for um you know, real-time databases and stuff. And I think that's cool. You know, there's a lot of attention on this stuff and some great engineers working on it. But what that means, you know, in the companies that we work with, which are a lot at this point, it's it just means that the nature of the work changes is all that happens. Um, so yeah, it's a net I, positive. I, but I do think, I think, so I, what I would kind of ask for clarification on or push back on is what Jimac and others have said in Data Mesh to be, really able to to treat your data as a product. The data product itself has to manage its own transformations, its own pipelines and things like that. So you have infrastructure as code. I think there is kind of an over-obsession on uh, the timeliness of data of, oh, we need everything in real time. And it's like, no, you don't. Like, go talk to your consumers. They'll tell you real time and then you ask and they're like, well, I'm just sick of getting it 48 hours after it happens in the data warehouse. It's like, Okay, so you don't need real time. You're really happy if I do a four hour SLA. Right. So, but like, yeah. do you think that that, that sound, from what you were saying, it sounds like you think that that might be overkill, you know, for, and, and honestly, data mesh is overkill for the vast majority of organizations. But when organizations think about how they want to share data, they kind of want to copy the, the data mesh model, even if they're smaller and don't need that complexity. So like, you know, there's, there's a couple of different questions in there, but like, how do you think about um, keeping the complexity low, but keeping the reliance on things that you do not control or understand the black box kind of aspects of it low as well? Or, or do we just have to figure out where we do that trade off? I think there's a happy medium. And I, and I, I would say the, the thing I'd always challenge companies is, um, you know, uh, your number one thing is to, to ship great data products quickly. Right. And, and um, you know, and, and I think setting up the cadence and the habit of delivering products is the most important thing. However you do that. Right. I think there's a, there's a ton of, uh, I would, I would almost call it ceremony when it comes to, um, you know, X as code, for example, um, you know, setting up the, you know, all the, uh, CI/CD pipelines and all this stuff. I think it's incredibly important, especially when you're you're getting started. Though, like that to me is the least of your concerns. Your concern should be getting quick wins with lar- with a larger business. That's the like only thing that matters at this point. 
if you're shipping an Excel report that, you know, executives find valuable, I'll, I'll take that any day over, you know, some uh, report that took six months to build and, uh, you know, was a, was a, you know, produce overly complicated mechanisms if you could get the same report done in about a day, right? So I think there's just a practice. And the, here's the deal. The business doesn't care if you're using data mesh or data, you know, fresh or whatever, right? It's kind of like, it, it's just what people want are results. And so that, so that, that, so I would say, you know, when you're starting out, I would, I would, you know, uh, no, 10 times out of 10, I'm going to focus on what quick wins can I get, um, in the most low fidelity way possible. And then once I figure out how to get those quick wins, then I start figuring out how I can improve on that and make it more complicated. But the, I, what I've seen every project, uh, get is budget pulled and people get fired is when they try and overcomplicate things, especially too early. That's that, that's a death sentence for you. So yeah, it's it's interesting the number of people who are kind of go for the quick wins or what like when you do a proof of concept and some people are like, no, don't call it a proof of concept, call it a proof of value. And then they'll talk about doing the other thing where the person says, no, you know, don't call it a proof of value, call it a proof of concept. And like, there's just no <laughs> steadiness between that. But for a lot of people with data mesh, what they're, what they're trying to prove out isn't the data set. If your proof of concept is around that data set, you're not actually able to put it into a reliable productionalized way, right? Like it's not something that you can put that into production as an actual product. It's the data set and that if people want it produced reliably, you know, with understandable quality and things like that, it's, it takes a long time to take it from you know, the data set to a data product, and then it takes even longer to take it to data mesh. So I, I do think that, and I think people often go for very, very complicated challenges up front versus I think if you are proving out data mesh rather than the data set or a data product, you still want to look for high, high ROI, fast, you know, high IRR, the internal rate of return, which is yep. time value of money as well. Like how quickly are you paying back your, your money? So like looking for those quick wins, no matter what is, is kind of your best bet rather than exactly what you said over complication. Agreed. And especially in, in today's economy, right? I mean, there's going to be a lot more attention put onto, uh, um, you know, the, um, you know, the value of a data team and, and, uh, you know, and I would say the broader, every department's going to be under scrutiny, right? And so you, you don't want to be on the data team that, um, I'll tell you another way you can fail. I, I did this talk, uh, you know, several months ago at a, a company that's wanted to, to do data mesh. And it was, it was titled a few ways to fail miserably with data. Um, and so, you know, and it was, uh, um, and this company was, was very siloed. Um, I would say everyone was, uh, you know, they'd built kingdoms around them yet. They wanted to do a data mesh. So you can you probably see the first, uh, first problem with this. Nobody communicates. So, um, that's a big problem. Uh, they try and get in each other's way. And, and the other thing is, um, you know, there was, I could argue that a lot of these teams, they weren't producing much value at all. Um, you know, or I would say, uh, or the, the value from one team would cancel the value from another team out. And, and so there wasn't like, a, a, I think, a coherent sense of what, you know, organizationally, what would value mean, you know, overall, and what does this drive? And so that that's, a, that's a huge, um, that's a huge thing. So I, I would, I would, I would, quite, I would, I would uh, challenge executives and, and um, leaders and, you know, data team leads and so forth, that if you are trying to do stuff like data mesh, um, definitely be careful of what you're trying to promise right now. 
you know, and have, have a, have a plan, have a visible plan and get people on board with it. Don't just say, Oh, we're going to do data mesh. I mean, that's, there's a lot more to it than just, um, and that's your easiest thing is just saying you're going to do it, but then you actually have to go do it. And, uh, there's, there's a lot to go. I mean, as you said, the, the things I would be focusing on is, um, you know, uh, quick wins, uh, you know, high IRR type activities at this point, whether that's data mesh or, or, you know, some variation of it or not at all. Like your, your priority right now is to, um, show value however that's done and quickly too. So, you know, as we, as we talked today, the stock market's down quite a bit again, and this, uh, has emotional effects on people. So, yeah. Well, yeah. It's seesaw, seesaw, Matt. That's, that's fun stuff. It's but, nuts. um, but, uh, so when you think about is an organization ready for something like data mesh, like, what Jimac has talked about, you have to kind of be at a mature level. The data mesh is currently bleeding edge. It's not leading edge. It's still bleeding edge. Right. So you're going to get cut. So you've got to be able to do that. Like what, what would be the signs for you that somebody would be ready to do data mesh? Not just that if they could do it, it would be helpful to them, but like that they're ready for something like this. Yeah. I think there's a few things. If you're, if you're getting a lot of wins with data, that's, that's definitely one. Um, now I would say that, it needs to be more than just one domain, though, that's getting wins with data, right? So if there's consistent wins across the board, um, you know, with uh, different domains. And I think the, the key thing is these domains talk to each other and communicate. And I think that's the recipe for success. Um, if you have domains that are succeeding with data, but they, you know, none of these domains want to talk to each other <laughs> or don't communicate, then I think inherently this will be problematic as well. And obviously, if you aren't getting wins, uh, you know, with data, then it would say all bets are off. You should probably focus on that first. So, I, you know, the way I'd approach it is wins, um, you know, then many domains getting wins and, and making sure these domains talk to each other and get along. That's to me, that's the last part. That's always the hardest though. Right. So, um, but there's, you know, there's, there's so many organizational factors that go into that, that, um, situation. So, yeah. and every company is different. Yeah, for sure. And, and, so one thing that we were looking at talking about is how is data mesh perceived in general by the data engineering community? And, you know, uh, it's, it's uh, weirdly amplified within um, if you are on our data, data engineering on Reddit or anything like that. I think um, there's a lot of people that are um, saying a lot of ridiculous things that they can't back up just because they don't want to spend the time to understand where it fits and or you know, saying, oh, uh, the, the data mesh people say that data mesh is for everybody. And it's like, no, Jamac doesn't say that. Jamac is, is, is kind of horrified when I'm like, yeah, a hundred person company is, is looking at doing data mesh. She's like, oh no, please don't. You know, I'm saying the same thing, mm -hmm. but like, how, how do you think that the, and, and, you know, feel free to kind of split them up into different groups, but how do you think data mesh is perceived by data engineering folks? Is it that there's just not enough concreteness around it or that it's potentially exciting or that it's worrying because, you know, well, what happens to data engineering if they're no longer the, those people in the middle, as you described, if they're not the ones that are kind of the, the people that are from office space, you know, the guy who, who takes the, the papers from the customers and takes them to the engineers oh, yeah. and back. So, <laughs> He's my favorite guy in the show. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I definitely think it's it's. So there, you know, right now in today's world, there's there's um, insane amounts of tribalism, right? And I, I think data mesh is one of the most polarizing topics I've seen in 
you know, my career. Uh, other ones that come to mind, uh, I think Agile may have been controversial when it first came out. Um, DevOps to some degree uh, was certainly uh, controversial. Uh, data mesh, I think, is it's one of my favorite concepts personally. I, I think if this if this works, the, the world's a very harmonious and beautiful place. Um, but you could also perceive it as being a bit of a utopia as well, right? And so I, yes. you know it. So we it's, don't know how to do it yet. We don't know how to do it yet. Right. It, it, so it's it's it, you know I I, I sort of um, you know liken it to uh, you know the Copernicus moment, you know the heliocentric uh, uh, movement, um, you know and or or something like Martin Luther maybe or something right where it was just this, it was it's a proclamation that I think is is uh, you know obviously very divisive, but I I think that in this case it's it's a good thing um, uh, that it is polarizing. If it was a, it was a, if it was a safe concept where everyone sort of agreed with it, then it would be an obvious idea, right? And so then that wouldn't be that interesting. And but what I find interesting is that if it if it did work, then this is obviously a terrific. Um, it's a terrific thing I think to. Uh, to idealize and strive towards, even if you never make it, right? It's sort of like uh, being a, a good person, um, you know, and living a, a righteous life in some religions, um, uh, you know. But you know, every, everyone uh, you know, sins and makes mistakes, and I, I feel like this is this is an ideal uh, that I personally think companies should strive for. But it is, um, you know, I, I, I was telling my friend, don't take this the wrong way, but I, I said it said like data mesh. It's you know, it's. Um, it's it's uh some people see it as like the maga hat of a uh, of data you know and so um you know it's just because it, it's it just represents something that i think is you either get it or you or you just hate it i don't know how to else to describe it because i've met some executives who really like the idea there's others that are just like I, this is the dumbest thing i've ever seen and i hate this with my entire conviction and you know and being this will this will never happen on my watch so Joe asked me to clarify on this point that all he was saying is that data mesh can be controversial and that people have pretty strong opinions about it one way or another. This podcast does not uh, endorse anything from the MAGA crowd. And when you dive, and you dive into the reasons why, right? It's like, um, it's it really stems down, at least in my experience, down to like uh, the... Um, I think unwillingness of organizations to, to, um, to change, right. This is, this is the, the central crux. It's like, well, you know, data mesh, how's that ever going to work here? Like, you know, nobody, you know, we all hate each other. That's exactly what I was going to say is that it's, it's either when I, when I talk to a lot of people, you know, who say that there's absolutely no chance that this could work anywhere. It's typically that they're <laughs> a really selfish type. Mm -hmm. And if they're saying there's no chance that this can work because no company can work this way, it's because their organization isn't in that kind of collaborative um, type of uh, situation. And so, you know, I, I talked about how uh, collaborative negotiation is kind of a uh, really, really useful pattern for, for data mesh. And some people are, are like, well, why would you ever collaborate in negotiation? Negotiation is about winning. And it's like, that's that's exactly, if your organization feels that way, you will fail with data mesh. Absolutely. Because at best, you will create silos, at best. And you probably won't even create high quality data for anybody else to use in silos. You'll probably only create high quality data for the domains and we'll yeah. have the same problems 
There's a reason we we didn't stick with domain data marts in, in from the 80s because those were just internal facing. They weren't at all about sharing data on the outside. They were about very high quality data designed only for consumption by the internal domain. And so that doesn't work. That's not a good situation. If your if your company can't get people bought in that, you know, participating in the society of your organization is mm-hmm. of benefit to everybody and it raises it's a rising tide that lifts all boats. Yeah, data mesh isn't for your organization and that's okay. But people are so freaked out by the what do you mean this isn't for me? People really, really get frustrated by that. <laughs> oh, they truly do. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's the crux of it for sure. Um, I mean, I think the technology is there to do data mesh. It's been there for a while. I don't consider it a technology question at, at all, actually. I think it, it's a cultural and organizational phenomenon at the end of the day, plain and simple. And, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, I mean, they seem like a lot of the companies out there too, right? I mean, if you just kind of go out in the world and talk to companies, this is the default behavior is, you know, sort of these... Um, these relic uh, organizational patterns that have existed, you know, since the industrial age and the, and the patterns that result from that are, um, you know, kind of what you'd expect, you know, I mean, this, this isn't, you know, it's very hierarchical, you know, uh, in a lot of cases, most companies are top down, you know, especially when you get out of the Bay Area, it's like the rest of the world, we call them dark matter companies. It's like the 99% of the companies out there in the world that you just don't see they're making money. They employ people. I mean, that's typically how they're run. It's, it's the old uh, kind of Peter Drucker, you know, um, you know, management philosophies and stuff. And that's just, but at the end of the day, that's, that's the operating system of these companies. And so that's what you're up against, right? Um, you know, middle management layers of this crap, right? So how are you going to even get domains in there? That's, those are called departments. And you know what departments do? Departments have budgets and departments fight for budgets and departments, you know, they, it's, that's what matters is power and, and money at the end of the day. And so, you know, to come in and say, oh, we're all going to cooperate and it's going to be kumbaya here. It's like, yeah, that's cool. You can go do that like at your commune down the street if you want to do that. But here, you know, we're running a business. Uh, I I say that in in all caps, you know, um, kind of sarcastically, but that's, that's how it's viewed. You know, it's like, you know, why don't you shut up and get back to, uh, you know, doing your work instead of talking to me about this, uh, this mesh stuff. I don't even know what you're talking about. That's, that's, that's the reaction I, I, I see at companies when you kind of bring this stuff up. It's like, yeah, that's great. So, um, can we get back to talking about, uh, you know, data pipelines or something or, you know, whatever it is we were <laughs> supposed to be talking about before? That's 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 the reaction we get uh, in a lot of cases. The more enlightened ones, I would say, you know, it is an ideal for sure. And I think, you know, but it's it's almost, you know, I, I would say that the perfect company to do data mesh, you, you would almost have to start out by doing this, it, it, you know, having having the organizational structure in place and then trying to work towards it or have somebody, um, you know, uh, you know, or it has to come from above and just say, look, you can either get on this bus or you know, it's nice working with you. So I think that's what, what I'm seeing with success stories is a lot of it is, um, you know, I've talked to a couple of companies that are, that, uh, were very hierarchical and they've moved towards being much less of that and that they were doing a lot of this data and information sharing, mostly just kind of the ones and zeros of data sharing, not the actual information that we need for analytical sharing but they've been doing it on the operational plane. And so they're like, yes, this has worked really, really well. It's it's made it so that we can be flexible and scalable 
and that we can respond to a changing world. So we're able to run circles around these competition that right. haven't kept up. But, you know, I mean, what about how often are you talking to kind of on the ground data engineers? Like what, what when you're talking <laughs> to those those types of folks, do they wish that they could be doing this or because, again, it, it is. You know, Jamak has even said she she sees a world where there are no data engineers. So, you know, she's saying that their skills are incredibly valuable, but that they shouldn't be only in one person and that that should be dispersed through a lot of thing, you know, through the team. So, like, how are, are they reacting when, when you're kind of uh, having the conversations about that conversation doesn't come up too often. I think it's more along the lines of, yeah, we'll never do data mesh. So it doesn't affect me kind of thing. Um, you know, and, but when I, you know, when I think about what she says, I think she, she is to, to some degree, correct. I think that the skills of a data engineer, if distributed among, um, you know, various members of a team, you know, it could, it could certainly be done, but it would say that that's, um, Again, it, it perhaps is an ideal, but it, it's it, in some ways it's a counterfactual ideal, right? Because you, you'll probably never get there. So it's like, well, what would Scott be like if he was doing, you know, if, if Scott was a hairdresser or something, right? It's kind of like it'll probably never happen. So <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter. And so that's I think when when people hear this sort of thing, that's the reaction they get. It's like, yeah, I mean, maybe, but probably not. So. Um, I mean, because, you know, I, I would say that, it, again, I, you know, I write about this in the last chapter of the book, you know, the, sort of the, the fact, the irony that we're writing a book on data engineering, but I myself say that the roles, titles could change. It always has, you know, that's, it was not the first time, you know, it's uh, a lot of titles have, have changed over time. And so this, you know, I, I would welcome that if it, if it meant that we were doing things with data in a better way. Absolutely. I'm not stuck on the title of data engineering, even though I wrote, wrote a book on it. It's like, it's like, it's. The thing, the constant technology is in this field is every everything evolves, right? I mean that that's kind of what I've said about data mesh is that I think it definitely deserves its its run out and to see if this can meet the promises that we think because there is a big cost to decentralizing and things. So I think it's worth it to really test it. But if data mesh isn't the right solution, I don't care at the end of the day. It's not that I'm saying that everybody should do data mesh or that data mesh will win out. It's I think that this has a good chance to change the way that a lot of these large, complex companies approach data. But, you know, it's not for a lot of these digital native companies, you know, the, the people from that worked at uh, Facebook or Amazon or Google and they, they hear about data mesh and they're like, well, this is silly. Why would you need that? It's like. Because if you listen to what Jamak says or like Cindy Housen from the Data Chief, and they're talking about that when there's a data request and you get data back six to nine months later, yeah. and they just can't fathom the idea of that. And that there was a request, maybe a meeting, but often just like literal requests. And then somebody went off and did what they thought served the requests instead of a constant iteration, a constant communication, and that that wasn't built for reuse and all this stuff. So you get to that six to nine months and, you know, 40, 50% of the time, the data is, you know, either the, the use case is totally moved or 
the data is in com- completely wrong structure. And so you've got to go back to the drawing board and, you know, all these things. So, but that's not, that's not what's happening at these companies that are the ones that are creating kind of the hot trends in most, in most things around data and engineering. And so when you tell people that it's not for those people, they go, well, then is it really useful if it's not for these companies that we think are the ideal? And it's like, well, yes, if it's, it can be completely designed for somebody that's not in that mode, and that's okay. I would say it might have a better chance if there's less baggage, right? Like I remember my my friend Igor; he was one of the first data engineers at uh, Uber, and he was talk, telling me about this. And it's like, and I asked him, you know, uh, he was presenting my meetup, and we talked about data mesh after. And he's like, so it's like, you know, at Uber, do you think data mesh could ever uh, work there? And he's like, absolutely not. You know, we we have um like just the way it, everything's set up there. They he said it, it would just it probably, in his opinion, would never work. Um, I've never worked at Uber, so I, I don't have really have a you know an opinion on this or a dog in the fight. But I thought that was an interesting comment because Uber is really seen as being this forward thinking um, you know data and tech company where you know their blog is widely read by you know pretty much everybody in the industry. And and he just said, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I don't think it would really work there. He had something crazy where it was like you know, they had like two thousand engineers or something, and they had like twenty four hundred microservices or some crazy number. Um, you know, so your microservices per capita number, if that's even a metric, was like kind of, you know, um, for at least he thought that that was kind of insane. I don't, I, again, I don't have a point of reference, but I thought that was a, you know, an interesting number regardless. So, Monzo Bank had a post about um, their kind of number of data assets. And Monzo Bank, mm-hmm. I think, has, you know, 1,500 people maybe total, and they've got 4,500 data assets, right? And And it's like, how can you, with that much surface area and no real idea of who's using what and what's the downstream impact of a change upstream and all of that, like everything, you know, if, if everything is a first uh, order priority, nothing's a first order priority, Correct. right? Like it just, it, like, and I think that's that's one of the things that's hidden within data mesh is that it can really shrink your, you know, in the security space, people talk about your, your attack surface area. Well, you kind of have this, your data disaster, your data downtime, your data, you know, whoopsies or whatever you want to call it. You're, you're, you have a much smaller surface area if you are collapsing these things into data products because that they're managed as actual data sets instead of, oh, this team has 63 tables in production and we're not really sure who uses what or why or how. And, you know, we know that there's this consumption that we can track like the first order consumption, but somebody consumes from that and then creates their own table or view from consuming from two different kind of upstream tables. And we don't, we just lose track of who's using what and why versus that kind of ordering. And I think that's where I wonder if we can get data engineers to be like, hey, you know how you're really, really sick of Con Chow in episode 44 talked about this. Of He was having a lot of difficulty getting data engineers bought in if they weren't the ones that were getting the calls at 2 a.m. for a data downtime incident. Versus, you know, the ones who were were like, yes, please, let's fix this. Let's get away right. from this. I don't want this to be, I want this to be more reliable. And so, you know, it's also centralization isn't the bottleneck for most organizations. If centralization isn't a bottleneck for you, I wish we had better ways to test if 
centralization is the challenge for you, but if centralization isn't the challenge, should you really do data mesh? I don't think so. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And, and it, I think it comes back to a few points we touched on earlier, right? Where, um, you know, you're talking about the uh, six to nine months to get a report. Like, again, this comes back to just making sure you're, you're in the habit of making quick wins, right? And delivering things, I would say, reliably and quickly. Like that um, lack of speed is the number one killer I've seen with most data projects. Plain and simple, whether you're using data mesh, centralized data warehouse, it doesn't matter. Like, crap, using Excel, just exporting data from ERP and getting reports quickly. Um no, and people like that. That's a win, right? Like, I, I, exec, I, I'm a decision maker. I need to make decisions. Am I able to make decisions quickly or not? That's really my. Oh, that's always been my bottom line. Um, you know, whether I've been in, um, responsible for providing the data to people or whether I've been the one consuming data and you know the one expected to make decisions. It's like, do I have the data I need today? And if I don't, then why? Where is it? Right? I don't have six months to wait. I don't have six minutes to wait. I need it today, like this second. So. <laughs> How does repeatability and and kind of trust and and quality factor into that? Too? It's everything, because- Matt. It's everything, right? Because I'll, I'll tell you what happens is if you don't, you know, I, I, I've seen this happen numerous times. People don't trust, you know, an exec doesn't trust the data. They look at, you know, I've, I've done this myself early on in my career. You know, I, I, you know, in a meeting, showing numbers to people on a, you know, PowerPoint, you know, projected in the CEO's office, and you know, the numbers are wrong. People nitpick it. And they're like, this numbers. What are you doing? This, you're, why are you wasting my time? This number, that number over there, right? They start fixating on one number, then all of a sudden, you know, it just, um, you know, it devolves real quickly. You don't want to be in that situation. And then that, what that does is it erodes trust. Like next time, it's like, oh, Joe, he's, he's dumb. Let's, let's see what he's got this time. How many, how many, how many, how many numbers did he get wrong this time? Right. So, uh, trust is a really big thing. That it's. Um, oh, I'll tell you another example. My first job, right? So you know, it was a company where. You know, at least this, you know, the executives thought that the um, salespeople and, and other decision makers were, were providing them, you know, fake numbers to make themselves look good. Um, you know, I was an analyst that started out and then pretty soon I was hired to sit right outside the CEO's office and I was his number guy. That's all I did was provide because he's, he's like, I'm going to trust you and this other kid and you're going to give me the numbers and we're going to make our decisions off of these numbers. And this is a company that was doubling in revenue every year. Revenue, not valuation, but actual money. Right. So it's like, you know, the stakes were high. Um, and um, I, that was a crash course in knowing how to, you know, maintain trust, uh, you know, and reliability and data. You know, I, I made one mistake, maybe a couple of mistakes, and that was it. I, I you know, I had to main, you know, if I, if I was going to keep my job, I had to keep uh, the trust high. And I did. Right. But, the, you know, it's trust and reliability are everything. That's like, yeah, if you don't have that, you know, forget about everything else. So if you aren't doing it as a product and you're, you know, if you aren't managing your data as a product, then how do you have that, that repeatability, right? Of, Hey, I need you to pull this thing again. And it's like, okay, now I've got to go back to 60 different sources. And I don't know if I can trust these sources. I I verified that I could trust it at that point, but do I have to completely re-verify and do all of this stuff? Like this, this is where I think data mesh Really, if you can get to a place of high trust and high quality, that repeatability aspect, you know, people talk about data reuse and I think data reuse is is useful, but repeatability to me of being able to, you know, that it's a wellspring, right? You know that you don't have to, that when you go there to fill up your bucket, water is going to be there and it's going to be clean and it's going to be fresh and that you can use it versus 
you know, oh, uh, I found a hole that had some water in it. I don't know if it's going to be there tomorrow. I don't know, yeah. you know. It's or if it's Mountain Dew or something in there instead yeah. or Brondo. <laughs> um, so, no, I mean, it, it's it's similar, right? And so you, you mentioned data products, you know, and, and uh, my, my background, uh, you know, and to a large extent is operations and supply chain. You know, and, um, and so that's one area where you can't screw up. <laughs> so, um you know, if you screw up, uh, sales aren't made, uh, you know, you waste a lot of money and stuff. But products is an interesting one. Man, we'll talk about that for a second, right? So when I hear data product, I, you know, I, I know the uh, definition that, um, you know, it's provided in data mesh and so forth, as well as other, you know, other places as well. Like the way I see it is, is you mentioned reliability. To, to me, this is, you know, a lot of this is just borrowing concepts from manufacturing and from lean and all these concepts of, you know, I, I think, um, you know, really... Um, you know, produce reliable products, right? And, and so, you know, if you have, you know, a factory and you're producing, you know, say, a, you know, an iPhone or something like that, I mean, that's, you know, you're able to produce those on mass because you have reliable processes, you know, reliable machinery, um, you know, reliable, um, you know, the quality controls there for the you know, components going into it. Like that's, to me, it's literally no different for, for data. Um, you know, they, the, the, the problem with data is that there are, there's a potential for artifacts to be introduced. But again, that's no different than if you're sourcing stuff like raw materials at the end of the day. Um, so I think you just, I, I, the, the biggest suggestion I would have for people that really want to uh, figure out how to do this right is go, go back and read like books on, um, you know, manufacturing lean thinking. Um, it's actually a book, uh, the Toyota way, like just understand these concepts. I think, and, and apply these to, um, to your, your data products and, I think it goes that just that mental shift goes a long ways because you're able to kind of like heat sink on like wasted processes, you know, unreliable processes and so forth. And so but you, it really comes down to having um, the ability to see these things before you can fix them. Right. Um, I think there's a book called uh, Learning to See, um, which is a really good one as well. But it's just uh, these, these are habits you have to get into. You have to kind of have a good smell test for, for this as well. Because the problem with data is, you know, when, when you have an application, for example, right, you can run unit tests and you can tell if it works or not, at least against your unit tests. There's always edge cases. But data, as I always say, it's, it's a silent killer, right? It's kind of like radon or something. Like if, it's just, if you, if you don't, like I've seen, you know, re, you talk about reports that are late six months. This also happens where you, 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 your report's late six months and then the data underlying it, you know, is wrong. And you're, then you start making decisions off of this uh, wrong data on this late report for, uh, you know, months or years and it's not even detected. And so I think back to your original, your other question that you had, like, you know, you have 60 different data sources. How do you know what, what, if the data is right or not? Yeah. And, and schema change where it doesn't break your schema contract where it's like, Oh, you know, somebody refactored this column and they took, you know, age from being in hours to being in days and nobody, you know, you didn't notice for, for six weeks and you made a bunch of, key crucial decisions or you know whatever and so mm -hmm. and the, tr the trigger the trigger words too you want to look for is if people have accepted this and they say oh well it's directionally correct right because i can't get an accurate number so at least if the trend is okay then, then i guess we're uh we can use it so yeah well and and uh somebody on the uh one of the early episodes i think it was obviously asylum had talked about the difference between um accuracy and um well i can't remember the other word that they that they use but like like you it doesn't have to be 100 correct 
if you do have kind of consistency of being quite close, but you, yeah, that directionality, if you go, okay, I, I don't care if it's 15.02 or 14.98%, but I need to know if it's 5% or 25%. Like, no, it's not okay if we're just like, it's between five and 25% of our sales are up this much from last week or down this much or what, like that's way too wide of a, of a band. And so, yeah. um, so I, I mean, one thing that I did want to kind of wrap up on what was the, the question of where do you actually see the concept of data engineering and data engineers going with data mesh? It sounds like right now what you you don't think that the software engineers don't want to put words in your mouth, but I just want to it sounds like that you don't think software engineers are ready to really handle these complex data products, but that it's not that hard for them to learn it if we give them the a little bit better frameworks and things like that. But, you know, do you think that that's actually going to happen? And if you were telling a company who like, what is my role of data engineering for, you know, the next six months and the next two years, what would you recommend for them? And I, yes, I know it depends, but you know what I mean? Like kind of put yourself in a scenario. I mean, to answer your first question, I, I you know, one, one thing I'm actually working on right now is a course to help, uh, software engineers become data engineers. And we do this often in our business. We actually coach um, software engineers and and analysts, data scientists too, on data engineering principles. What we find is, I think it's it's an assumption that software engineers could become data engineers. Um, And I think there's, it's definitely true. I've seen this happen. Um, I mean, part of my progression to data engineering was actually working as a software engineer. And then, you know, and I guess becoming whatever, but, you know, it, the, the, I guess it, the engineering is more done on data and not so much on application systems, right? And so that's, I would say software engineering, I always compare it to like mixed martial arts. You know, I always have some sort of sports analogy, but like, you know, the best skill set historically in, in MMA has been, if you want to get an MMA, like wrestling is a really good base, right? You can kind of take where, you know, the fight where it needs to go and, um, you know, you know how to use your, your positioning correctly. And I think software engineering is very similar where you, you, you have the tactical chops to do data engineering, right? Um, on the opposite end, you know, data analysts and data scientists, training them to be data engineers, I think that's also effective because they know what the outcome should look like. They kind of know what the data product should be. That's, I think, the thing that's typically lost in software engineers is they don't have the empathy or the context to know uh, what the outcomes are and how data is used. It's usually an afterthought. Right now, it's a you know for the most part, software engineers that I I work with, it's like data is the last thing they're concerned with. It's like, you know, I'm gonna I need I need to capture data to the extent I need to use it in application. Data products are the last thing in your mind. So, but I think they do have the technical foundation to become data engineers. There's not a doubt. But really, the the, the training that you know I'm thinking of is more about okay, so you know, the data life cycle, how do you think about data? And, and what's, what's going to bring this to fruition, I think, and, and why, you know, I was talking with Jamak about this as well in, in my podcast, but I think there's, um, I would say increasingly, it, it, so right now there's a notion of the modern data stack, uh, you know, where the data warehouse is sort of the center of the universe or the data lake or you know, the data cloud, whatever it is, right? But I think increasingly what you're going to see is, um, you know, a movement back to um, the application actually, and sort of having, um, you know, data first applications, you're starting to see this, um, you know, there's, there's companies out there that are making, you know, SDKs where you can, um, you know, produce data pipelines, you know, real time data pipelines straight in the app. 
and that'll you know maybe work with a um, you know, database or a, you know real time database or a machine learning or whatever. But I think just a feedback loop between software engineering and like data products is going to be pretty tight to the to the point where this is where I think data engineering is going. Like either you're going to be focused on the higher level uh, management abstractions and governance, or you're going to be focused on like making these, uh, you know, um, what I call the live data stack, you know, where it's just a continuous feedback loop. But this opens the door, actually. This is sort of the uh, the Trojan horse where I think data mesh could actually work um, because it does tighten it back to the application layer. Um, and because of just domain-driven design, you know, and... and um, you know, and other other aspects that are typically more aligned with software engineering. This actually puts the uh, data product back squarely in uh, software engineering's hands. So I, I actually see, I see a clear path to this happening because it's already happening. But it, it might actually be a version of the data mesh that um, none of us have considered. Like Jamak and I were talking about that on the show too, where it's from a technical from an implementation standpoint, we do need to rethink how we're doing um, things like APIs as well, right? Like we're dealing with legacy. Um, protocols and standards that maybe don't apply anymore, or maybe they need to be um, you know, improved upon. So that's very possible. Yeah. I, I think one thing that I'm seeing with sick, companies that are having success with data mesh is, is looking for reuse. And, and I always talk about the, so tell me about yourself question of put things that are examples in front of the software engineers so they don't have to think in most cases and yeah. they can like, cause 80% of the time when you're sharing data, you can just use a, a shared schema, a standard schema, or, you know, extensible, tweakable schema, but that it's just not that that complex most of the time. And that, you know, 80% of the time, the software engineers could handle it if we give them the right, you know, tooling, frameworks, all that, the right resources to do it. So, um, right. but I, I want to be cognizant of time here. And so... Um, is there, you know, we talked about a whole lot of different things, but is there any way that you'd kind of like to put a, a button on the episode, anything that you'd like to, to sum up what we talked about or any kind of general point that you think people should really take away from kind of the data engineering and data mesh and kind of the overlap and, and where that's headed? Yeah, for sure. I, I would just say, you know, the number one thing people need to be uh, focused on is just, you know, getting high value wins, um, you know, as, as many as possible, as quickly as possible, work with the business, communicate. These are all simple things, right? I, I would say that, you know, the takeaway is don't overcomplicate it. Um, this isn't hard. <laughs> um, you know, focusing on areas of value isn't hard. Producing value isn't hard if you know what the value is that you're trying to produce, right? And the most important thing is, you know, if you want data mesh to work, you, you, you know, you got to get out there and, and you know, um, communicate, uh, you know, and, and I think have empathy for, our, uh, you know, other stakeholders that you'll be working with. Well, that's, that's great. And and um, so it, where can folks find you? What do you want people following up with you about? You know, obviously you've got uh, the book coming out. And so that's in early release right now on O'Reilly's site. So if people have a subscription, they can get to that. And it's going to be coming out this summer. But what, what do you want people following up with you about? Where do you want them following up with you? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, just Joe Reese, um, you know, J-O-E-R-E-I-S. And uh, you can find me there. Uh, we do the uh, Monday Morning Data Chat podcast, uh, occasionally a Friday podcast, too, uh, if we feel like it. And, um, you know, um, you'll, you'll find me online. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, my company is ternarydata.com. Uh, I, 
if you if you would like uh, subscribe to our newsletter it's actually a subscriber only newsletter it's become sort of this underground cult uh uh following um of, of tech executives and um uh, all sorts of engineers uh, so um, might be doing a sub stack pretty soon as well and yeah go to o'reilly um you know check out the book uh, fundamentals of data engineering it's, it's you can get it pre-sale on amazon as well so um support's greatly appreciated thank you Awesome. Well, uh, thank you uh, again, Joe, so much for the time. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thanks, Scott. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Joe Reese, the CEO and co-founder of the data consultancy company Ternary Data, the co-host of the Monday Morning Data Chat podcast, and author of the upcoming book, Fundamentals of Data Engineering with O'Reilly. As per usual, you can find those links and a link to his LinkedIn to get in touch with Joe in the show notes. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.